Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. In this episode of the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast, I feature New York-based artist David Schroep. He creates multi-layered portraits and assemblage paintings made in part from everyday materials that he finds in multiple geographies and especially from around his familial home. He disassembles furniture, separating wood from fabric, and recombines them as supports for collage, painting, and drawing. Through these various modes of protection, his work brings notions of identity, history, and memory into question while challenging conventions of classical portraiture. David produces new narratives, fragmented and non-linear, that feel intimate and personal without being anchored to a specific time or place. He holds an MFA and a BFA in painting from Hunter College and is an alumnus of the Skowhegan School of Painting and Sculpture and was a Joan Mitchell Artist Teaching Fellow. David's work is currently on view in The Slip Stream, Reflection, Resilience, and Resistance in the Art of Our Time at the Brooklyn Museum, and in Lineages, works from the collection of NSU Art Museum, Fort Lauderdale. He had had several solo exhibitions at Steve Turner Gallery in Los Angeles, Theory Goldberg Gallery in New York, and Jenkins Johnson Gallery San Francisco. His work was included in group exhibitions at C.F. Hill Art Space in Stockholm, Jeffrey Deitch Gallery, L.A., New York, the Bronx Museum, and the Studio Museum in Harlem, to name a few. He has shown at numerous art fairs and held in several permanent collections, including the Brooklyn Museum, the Student Museum in Harlem, and the Block Museum in Illinois. The Monique Maloche Gallery in Chicago is currently presenting a solo exhibition titled Riding the Winds Back through October 30th. Please visit his website, davidschrobe.com, for his expanded bio. Please visit his exhibition. And welcome to the Surrey Woman Art Talks podcast and enjoy this episode. Thank you. David, I am delighted to feature you on my Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. Welcome and thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Let's start with you sharing with listeners. When did you first recognize your artistic passion? Very early on in my childhood, my father was a jazz pianist and um, had a piano in our living room. And, And so I began with music. I wanted to play jazz like my father. And uh, of course, I was advised I need to start with the classical music and, and finally work my way towards that. Um, so I began with music and then later moving into jazz dance. And, and then in school, art class was, was always, always my favorite subject. Um, I had a really amazing art teacher 
who challenged me in many ways and, and really opened my eyes to the possibilities of art making. I remember maybe maybe like seven years old, she introduced us to uh, the printmaking process. And right away, I was I was fascinated with the idea of squeezing paint through a screen uh, using a squeegee. And um, I brought in one of my favorite albums of the time was Bob Marley's Legend album. And I brought it in and I used that as source material to do an initial sketch, which would then be uh, transferred onto the screen. And the end result was so satisfying for me. It, um, it's something I kept to, to this day. It actually hangs in my family's home still, the, uh, the kind of portrait of, of Bob Marley from the Legend album. That's amazing. That's great. <laughs> yeah, and then later on, I, I, I guess uh, entering uh, teenage years, um, my older sister was was a major influence on on my artistic practice or even just thinking about becoming an artist. Uh, one day she came home after going to a party with uh, her MC leather jacket spray painted with the words Free South Africa on the back um, with little characters. And it mimicked the Keith Haring print um, of a Free South Africa painting that she had taped to her wall. And she began creating her own uh, kind of tag style typography for every letter in the alphabet. And I was I was blown away. I was like, this is what I this is what I want to do. And I knew that I had to create a style of my own um, that was even better um, if I was going to be any good at it. That's great. And did your parents have an opinion of you favoring the visual arts versus music? Um, no, not at all. Um, you know, because I, I've moved around from music to, to dance, to, to even tap dance at a, at a young age. Even I remember family friends would give me gifts, art books as gifts. And I don't know, maybe they saw um, a glimpse of talent in me that they felt could be nurtured along the way. But um, I still have many of those books. So other than your sister, what artists influenced you? Well, I guess when getting into um, graffiti art, um, there were so many amazing, talented artists who I grew up around who kind of schooled me to, to what it means to be an artist and to be a good artist. And they were very, very influential just for the art I started making at that time. And then later on, I, I started gravitating toward artists who used a kind of graffiti sensibility in their work Artists like uh, Elizabeth Murray, uh, Carol Dunham, artists like Peter Saul, Frank Stella. I remember uh, I went to school in the village, so Frank Stella had these massive shaped canvas constructions um, nearby in like a, the lobby of a corporate office building near my school. And I remember just kind of staring in the window every time I passed it and just being totally fascinated. And... And then falling in love with with um, artists who were draftsmen, like uh, John Biggers, Charles White, um, and then later collage of, of Romare Bearden and Betty Czar, and, and many abstract expressionists like um, Motherwell de Kooning. I, for a while, I would paint totally abstract paintings. I, I wanted them to have that kind of energy that I, that I found in, in de Kooning's work. 
And your work now has a tendency to, it leans towards figurative, although it's somewhat abstract. When did you focus on more of the figurative types of creations? It's interesting because my first, my first real painting um, was around when I was 15 years old. It was, uh, I, I grew up with two sisters, one who was a year and a half older and um, one who was 10 years older. And um, she passed away. And after the passing of my sister, I, I picked up a five by seven photograph that was laying around the house um, of, of both of my sisters. And I think I, at the time I, I might've bought some initial canvas and, and paint to just kind of try things out as, as a hobby at the time. And I began to draw and sketch um, from the photograph onto an unstretched piece of canvas. And initially it, it was a way to kind of grieve and later became a way to celebrate and remember her. And the, I felt the kind of joy in painting and excitement that, that I hadn't felt before. And it, it was so satisfying. I knew right away when, when the piece was finished and, and I could see both of them in the work. And, and this is a piece that, that, that I also held to today, which is still very special for me. Yeah. And that was, that was kind of one of the first um, figurative works that in a way could even um, relate to the work that I make today. Sorry to hear of that loss. Would you say that those memories are reflected in, in most of your work? Yeah, yeah. A lot of the, the portraits that you see in, um, in a lot of the works, you know, sometimes I call them portraits, but they're, they're really not. You know, they're, they're using a kind of language and mode of portraiture, but they, they exist kind of outside of that. And in the process of painting them, family members start to, to appear in these characters. Um, I often don't know how the works will end up. I might start with an idea or, or draw from a family photograph and they begin to morph into, into other characters, into other um, identities that often resemble family members. Sometimes my sister, sometimes my daughter, my, my wife. Um, so I see those memories and, and then even, even drawing from oral histories and stories that have, that have kind of been handed down through generations of my family those all kind of reappear and, and become reimagined in, in different ways and in, um, in the kind of imagined and real spaces that, that evolve in the work. And your work includes found objects. Can you explain to listeners how you incorporate them with your paintings? Yeah. Uh, found objects, for me, sparked possibilities in painting. Um, became a way to kind of push my painting language in, into a more sculptural and, and physical realm. And my studio is housed uh, in an apartment that uh, the apartment my mother was raised in with my grandmother and great grandmother. And this was the apartment my family settled in after moving from Alabama and Arkansas and, and really escaping oppressive areas in the South and traveling to Harlem through the Great Migration. Um, and so the, the studio space has a kind of, uh, is a kind of sacred space for me. 
And at times I feel that I'm, I'm tapping into a kind of ancestral lineage. Um, sometimes even feel like the ancestors guide me in ways, the littlest things. Um, I leave a lot of scraps around in the studio, things I forget about. And at the oddest moments, they, they appear to me. But mostly furniture parts, I, I find r- often right in front of the studio space or on the block of my studio, the most amazing uh, pieces of furniture, headboards, uh, basketball backboards, um, pieces of, of the uh, mirror frames that often then become ways to frame my subjects um, and also contribute to the kind of overall form or work might take. Um, but really, it becomes about a kind of playful discovery. You know, that's how I think about my practice is, is really it's all about play and, and the things I find. I bring them into the studio. I clean them up. Um, I let them sit out. And then um, it becomes about responding to the things I find and, and manipulating them, letting a kind of transformation happen over time that that um, that takes me to places I, I couldn't expect or didn't think of from initially um, the items I find. It's fascinating. And when did the titles enter the creative process? It's always different. Sometimes they, uh, they can come at, with an initial idea and I might write the title down. Um, and then later on, as the piece is always changing, they, they go through many shifts in many different stages. Um, sometimes titles come about from poems I might hear, um, talks, lectures, uh, lines from a book. And it's, it's almost like, you know, I hear about writers, like the idea of grabbing a word or, or something out of the air. And so I, I often feel that's like grabbing a word out of the air and I have to write it down quickly before I forget it, before it leaves, it leaves my mind. Um, at other times, you know, sometimes they come at the very end, end of a work when I, a work is just completed and kind of act as a, a punchline uh, for the kind of things going on or the formal elements uh, of a work. But they're very, they're, they're super important for me. They can also contribute to the kind of overall experience of a work. Interesting. And how, how would you define Black art? When I think about Black art, right away what comes to mind is the Black arts movement, uh, Amiri Baraka, the many amazing poets um, felt like more of a, a literary movement that also was in relation to the black power movement. But I also think about black art now as kind of work that exists and stands in solidarity um, with a kind of quest for, for black equality. I think it's work that, that speaks to liberation, revolution, affirmation, self-determination, a sense of pride. I also think it, it black art is, is art that is, is made by, by people who identify um, throughout the diaspora of, of being black or African. I like your answer. <laughs> Thank you. And, um, when you're creating, do you think about who your audience is? No, not, not really. Uh, I think I'm, I'm often too, I'm too engulfed in, in, in the practice, in the making, um, to think about any, anything else really. Um, I'm too engaged in, in kind of thinking about composition, thinking about the color relationships, thinking about ways to, to 
take chances in the studio that uh that often become surprises and uh becomes about kind of figuring things out you know figuring things out in the work and then figuring things out with myself uh every work in a way presents a kind of learning experience a growth experience that that sometimes i pick up clues from that i later on put into a work other times i i totally forget about them and and, and they are abandoned <laughs> and do you think your audience understands your work at times at times i do um there's times where somebody might might see my work and and say something um i remember like somebody said something about found the found objects i use is is empowering the um kind of images and objects that are present in our communities and right away i was like okay this person this person this person gets it um i think they might have even been from from the neighborhood that i that i find the material other times uh I've heard somebody say this, this feels like Harlem, you know, so that's interesting, you know, like thinking about the things that I, I pick up in, in the Harlem neighborhood that, that speak to history, speak to Harlem's rich history and, and environment. What do you feel is the purpose of art? To feed our soul, mm. to, make our, to make us think. Art has a way of, of, of changing perceptions, changing people's minds. I think it's to the kind of total expression of, of freedom. How do you keep learning? Always learning, always learning. I have a five-year-old daughter, so um, I learned through, you know, yeah, I, I learned through teaching her. Um, when I was a teacher of young children, you know, I, I, I felt like I, sometimes I'm learning more from them than, than they am from me at times. Um, it becomes a kind of sharing experience. And as I said, with, with, with every new work, even from the, the its initial start, it's it's always full of full of surprises, full of discoveries, and it becomes about following the work where it takes me, and and that what keeps me excited, keeps me engaged, keeps me moving, and and it becomes a dance. You know, I think um, I think of it as a dance and, and a kind of marriage of materials when everything is really working. It's it's so satisfying, and 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 that kind of marriage. I think makes the image poetic in a way. Interesting. And how, how did COVID impact your practice? In, in many ways, um, you know, having a daughter and, and being married, um, we've been in somewhat in isolation for, for part of the time. Um, but being an artist is, is where we're used to, we're used to isolation. You know, I spend so much time in the studio by myself. So, but um, there, you know, there are many stresses that the virus uh, has caused, you know, stresses in our health and relationships with partners and, and friends, feelings of anxiety and fear, um, anger and frustration, especially even um, in heightened police killings and, and social uprisings, um, dealing with white supremacy, uh, all the things that were happening that coincided with this kind of, uh, with COVID, with this collective experience that we're all kind of in at the same moment. Um, but I think a lot of those, those frustrations, a lot of the, that anxiety, um, it, it, it has to be channeled. It has to be let out. And so for me, I, you know, I channel that in the work and it becomes a way of, about responding to, to the social realities, all the things going around us. 
um, and and thinking about ways to to make meaning for work that speaks to the time that that we're living in. And what are you excited about now? Well, this week I would say uh, <laughs> the joy the joy of seeing uh, my my five year old daughter Luna. She has just started kindergarten this week, and you know after a, a, almost a year of remote learning and, and isolation, um, she has a chance now to to make new friends, to go back to school. You know, even though they're wearing a mask, um, you know it doesn't it 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 doesn't set her back. It you know she she's loving school. She's so excited. Also, I just I just finished a new body of work that I will be presenting at Monique Maloche Gallery in Chicago. And I'm very excited to, to share this new body of work with the, with the public. I began it uh, almost a year ago. And two, I began it in the height of the pandemic in, in 2020. And my work takes a really long time to make. And so even there's times where I might feel the work is finished, but I, I needed to sit with me for another month or so. And, and sometimes just to, to look during that time, I might move on to another piece. Um, but I spend a lot of time looking, looking at the works that, um, that might be in that, that finished stage and then contemplate the next move or, or think about what, how it could be pushed a little more before I let it out in, into the world, you know, and they're, they're my babies in a way. So they're finally leaving the studio and um, headed out into the world. In my studio, the, I have these very old um, stucco walls. So it changes, it changes the feel. It shifts and changes when in the space from one space to another. And, and so moving into a kind of pristine gallery space um, the work will change in other ways. And some of the works I have not even, I haven't seen hung yet myself. So I will be traveling to Chicago tomorrow and I will be seeing a lot of the works in the gallery space for the first time. So I'm excited to see the works and I hope that it can connect with people. I'm sure they will. And Luna is a beautiful name. <laughs> Thank you. Good choice yeah. there. She appears and she appears in a lot of works, whether it's a, it's a it's a piece, of, it's her ear or her eye um, or a silhouette of a baby you might see. Um, so you might find some of that in there. <laughs> and given that and given the history and your space and life in general, how do you feel when you start the process, like when you approach a canvas? What overcomes you? When I'm approaching when I'm approaching a new work, um, I really approach it with, with excitement, with, with slowness, um, with finesse, um, with care. You know, I, I, I'm being very, very hands-on. Um, I, I don't, I don't work with, um, with assistance very much. And, and so I like to do everything myself. Um, so I'm, I have to be very careful with, with the initial moves of a work, but um, it's very exhilarating to to step into a new piece, especially when a new idea or um, a vision comes out of, of is in my head that I feel that needs to manifest into a work. There were even times that works would come out of dreams. I would I would dream about me being in in a, a museum or gallery space, and and then when I would wake up, I would 
realized that I wasn't dreaming about somebody else's work, but that these were potential works that, that could be made. Love it. This has been a great interview. I really appreciate it. And this will be our last question. And that is, what do you feel is your role as an artist? To connect with people, to share my vision, to create a legacy for my family, to give back when I can, and to come from a sincere place. You know, I, I, it has to be meaningful for me. And I want to create meaningful work that that speaks to the legacy of, of art that um, can leave an impact on the discipline of, of visual art. And for me, the legacy of painting, which is, is my focus of interest and to, to uplift community. You know, I think, I think about the work is, is, is offering new possibilities of freedom and empowerment. It's wonderful. Thank you so much, David. I appreciate your time. This was a wonderful conversation. Thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed Thanks for having me. Okay. Take care. You too. Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram.